This morning, uh, the, I felt the Lord gave me a word yesterday, uh, just a little phrase as I was praying and preparing. And um, it was funny to me because uh, certain phrases mean different things depending on the tone in which they're said. How many know tone matters, right? Some of you married folk, you know what I'm talking about. Even if you got kids, you know what I'm talking about. So when you get home and you get a, hey, babe, hey, babe, it's like, oh, all right, it's a good tone. Sometimes you get a, hey, babe, it's like, what happened? Or here's, hey, babe, that means you're going to get up and get something. (laughs) Hey, babe, can you, like, hey, babe can mean a number of different things depending on how you say it, right? And even, like, with your kids, like, my oldest now, her tone is starting to get her in trouble with me. Because there are certain things she keeps saying where I'm like, I don't like the way you said that. And so, and she's, and she's not saying anything bad, so she's like, what? I'm like, no, no, it's how you said what. Like, I watch your attitude. And so I'm finding myself having to correct that more and more. And so I'm saying all that because I felt the Lord gave me this phrase, and I thought about it in one way. But as I said it, I'm like, you know what? Maybe this means a few different things. Because the phrase I felt that the Lord gave me was, why not me? And why not me can be said a number of different ways, depending on how you're saying it, depending on the situation. And a lot of what affects that phrase, I believe, is our own insecurities. I think one of the struggles we often have in our relationship with God is we take our earthly insecurities and we project it on our relationship to God. We also project it on each other. But one of the worst things you can do is take your insecurities, your your feelings of uh, worthlessness or not good enough or all these other things, and we take it into our faith journey with God, and it begins to hinder our relationship and even our prayer life because we start to view God as if he views us the way we view us. That's very complicated. So a lot of times... We don't even pray certain prayers anymore because we already make assumptions on how God feels, on what God's going to say, and what God's going to do. And we almost, in a certain way, replace God with ourselves. And so the why not me begins to shift depending on your view of the Lord, depending on how you're asking or what you're asking for. So let me bring you a little bit more clarity because where I see a few variations of this question is in the story we find in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 15. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28, there's a, just a small story here about an encounter that Jesus had with a Gentile woman. Now, again, if you're new to church, uh, within the Bible, you have the people of God, which was the nation of Israel. That's just a group of people that God chose to tell his story through. It could have been any other group. God just had to choose a group. And so he chose the nation of Israel. And so the story of God is told through the nation of Israel, beginning in the Old Testament with all the prophecies and things laid out and then fulfilled in the New Testament. So you get the whole story of Israel. So anyone who is not uh, from that tribe, anyone who is not from the people of God, were considered Gentile. So anyone who wasn't Jewish born, anybody who wasn't from the Jewish faith was considered Gentile. And they had a lot of certain rules because in order to keep that nation pure for that long, they weren't to intermarry with Gentiles. They weren't to associate a lot with Gentiles. Like there was a separation that was to take place. And a lot of times what that really ended up developing was some prejudice, some angst, and even just some seclusion from anybody who wasn't Jewish. And yet here we see Jesus having a powerful encounter with a Gentile woman. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew 15, verse 21 through 28. It says, then Jesus left Galilee, that's a part of Israel, 
and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came, worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take the food from children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. Now, this can be a very complicated passage to read if you're not reading within context and understanding of what's actually happening. You read that briefly, and Jesus kind of looks bad. He ignores her, and even when he does respond to her, he kind of brushes her off, and he even goes so far as calling her a dog. And, and so you read that and you're like, I don't know if I want to serve a Jesus like that, who's dismissive, who ignores, who calls me names. But you have to understand within context what Jesus is doing. Jesus was testing this woman's faith. Here's our problem a lot of times with our prayer. We throw one prayer up and then we just walk away. Man, I got this need. I'm going to ask God. Well, all right, I'm going to walk away. That, that would be like if I lost a kid and, and the police come, they're like, Mr. Silva, have you, have you searched for your kid? I mean, like, yeah, I looked in the closet. She wasn't there. And so I'm just like, I don't know. It's like, that's it? That's, yeah, I mean, I, I, we got a lot of closets. I opened one. I thought she'd be in that one. And so, so the problem a lot of times is your prayer isn't really that urgent to you because you only throw it up one time. You only kind of maybe bring it before the Lord. You don't even talk to anybody else. You don't ask for intercession. You're not really serious about it. And so if you're not even serious about it, why should God be serious about it? Because if God answers that prayer, you'll probably even forget you prayed it. And you'll just be like, oh, look, it worked out. It's like, no, it didn't work out. God worked it out. And so a lot of times what God will do is God will test your faith by, by doing just a little bit more, trying to get you to push just a little bit further. And even with that uh, name of a dog, I, I just want to make sure that I clarify. It's not that he's calling her a name. She understood the illustration. What he's saying is, listen, my purpose was for the nation of Israel, and, I, and the dog is more like the pet of the household. And so what he's saying is, hey, I wouldn't take food from my kids and give it to my pet even though some of y'all love your pet more than you love your kids. I was, I was a joke. I wasn't trying to strike a nerve there. <laughs> some of you spouses are like, see, I told you. The kid gets it. They sense it. <laughs> no, so what, he, what he's saying is he's, he's clarifying, and she got it. But what I love about this woman is at no point in any of this does she stop, where I think many of us will. I think many of us would ask the question, why not me, in a few different ways, and two of which I think really hinder us when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to our faith life, when it comes to just being who God called us to be. And if you're taking notes, the first why not me is this. Why not me? Right? What does that mean? Oftentimes, part of our struggle is we feel like God's not fair. Why do you bless them and not me? Why did you answer their prayer and you don't answer my prayer. Why are they being taken care of and I'm not being taken care of? 
Listen, Jesus was being honest about his assignment and how it was meant to be through God's chosen people of Israel. And so we don't see this, but it would have been fair for that woman to go, well, how come? If you're supposed to be the God of the universe, why are you favoring the Israelites and not me? Why are you taking care of them and not me? And again, we do that whether consciously or subconsciously. We look at other people's blessings and we don't rejoice. We actually get sad because they just received what I've been praying for because they got what I wanted. So it doesn't seem fair to you. It doesn't seem fair that you and your husband have been struggling to conceive a child and there are so many people with unwanted pregnancies getting abortions. That doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair that you struggle financially and yet you're serving God, you're faithful with your tithe, you're faithful with your offering, and that people who don't even know God have so much money they don't know what to do with it. And so we look at these things and we say, well, God, that's not fair. That, listen, how, how come you healed that cancer in that person, but you didn't heal the cancer in my loved one? How come that disease ended in this, but you didn't make it in that situation? How come you provided that need, but you didn't provide this need? And so we start comparing different people's prayer requests and different people's situations. And oftentimes we compare with us and jealousy and comparison begin to well up within your heart and even more so bitterness towards God. And so what ends up happening is you don't even pray it anymore. Because you're just sitting there going, well, what's the point? If you're just going to do what you want to do, what's the point, God? Listen, Romans chapter 9, verse 15 through 16, this is important to recognize. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. This is a hard pill to swallow. But God owes you nothing. Nothing. So when we get into this idea of fairness, you have to recognize that God is not fair. God is just. And God has already given you more than any of us in this room deserve with simply having your salvation. God doesn't owe you a raise. God doesn't owe you a better house. God doesn't owe you prosperity and blessing. God doesn't owe you healing. He's already healed you eternally. Like God owes us nothing. And so we have to be careful. And I love that this woman came with the humble heart. She recognized, yes, I, I'm not a person of Israel. I'm not, a, you don't owe me anything, but yet I worship you and I beg you, Lord, have mercy on me. Consider the parable that uh, Jesus gave in Matthew, the owner of the vineyard. <clears throat> There's a, a story that Jesus gives about a vineyard owner who went in one morning to the town and he recruited workers to come and do just kind of the regular wage to work in his vineyard. He struck a deal with them. Everybody agreed on it. They came and worked. A few hours later, he goes back into town. He sees some people not working. He says, hey, I got some jobs for you. He brings them out. A few hours later, he goes back into town, sees some more guys not working, says, hey, I got a job for you, brings them out. Even later in the day, like an hour before the workday is over, he still sees some people working and he's uh, just hanging out. He goes, hey, listen, you need a job? Come to my vineyard. Let's get some work done. <clears throat> and then listen to what happens in Matthew 20, verse 8 through 15. It says, that evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. 
when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, which by the way, that's probably our biggest assumption with this situation, with the why not me, is that you're making assumptions that God never gave you. They assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid those who worked all day in the scorching heat. Pause. I think a lot of us would agree with that. I think a lot of us would be angry if we went and we did a job all day long, manual labor. Somebody comes in and does one hour of our 10-hour shift and gets paid the same. We would say, that's not fair. And listen, we are more and more in our culture getting obsessed with fairness in that idea. And not everything is always going to be equal. And so we got this mindset, no, everything has to be the same across the board. Every kid should win, but every kid doesn't win. And every situation isn't fair. And that's just how things work. So listen, he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Watch your heart, church. Watch your heart. Because listen, I'll be honest with you. There are times, you know, I know a lot of times infertility is a major struggle. And so there were times when, when my wife and I would get pregnant on, on one of the three pregnancies we had where we had other friends that we had been praying with. For those of you who don't know, like my first child, it took us five years. We weren't sure if we'd ever have kids. And so when we were pregnant, there was a part of me that didn't want to rejoice because I had friends that I knew that were praying as well that hadn't yet received that blessing. And, and I was like, no, I don't want them to feel bad. Or there were people who had miscarried. I was like, I don't want them to feel bad. Like, uh, maybe we should just be quiet. Maybe we, let's not gloat. I don't want to hurt it. But here's the reality. We need to rejoice when other people are blessed. Not be mad at them. Not get jealous. Not let bitterness well in. And I know it's human nature. But human nature is also sinful nature. And so we have to be careful to be led by the spirit and not by our human nature. To, to check our heart and recognize, you know, it may not have happened to me, but praise God he answered your prayer. I praise God because he is good to you. I praise God because I've seen you in the struggle, and I'm so grateful that at least you have that blessing. And I'm not going to sit here and be angry because I haven't received. How can we be jealous because God is being kind to somebody else? It's his, his, his to do what he wants to do. And again, if you recognize that God doesn't owe you anything, then anything you receive with, from God, you receive not just with a humble heart, but a grateful heart. Because you recognize God and all your graciousness. And here's, think about it like this. How grateful are you to wake up today? Like some of us are just grumpy because it was raining. Like, oh, I can't believe it rained. I was like, we kind of need rain, right? I was like, the older I get, the more I look out the window and go, we really needed that. We kind of need rain, right? But we get grumpy over the dumbest things. My job made me work overtime. Oh, boo-hoo, you get more money. <laughs> and we, we get frustrated over the dumbest things, and we get angry at even the blessings of God. I don't want to have a bitter heart towards somebody else. I want to celebrate. Listen, I'll tell you from a pastor perspective, I don't want to get jealous because God blessed another church. I don't want to get jealous because maybe we had an event, we didn't do so well, somebody else had an event, they did great. We had a baptism, five people got baptized, and the other church had 15 people get baptized. Why am I getting angry? 20 people got baptized. That should be the mindset. That should be the goal, to recognize that God is being glorified in all this. 
So I don't want to think, why not me? Because it's not about me. Second thing, though, is the why not me. And here's where we get stuck in our head. When we ask that why question, very often we come up with all the reasons why God won't do it for me. Why? There's so many reasons why God wouldn't do it for me. And we go through this list. Look, at even for the woman that Jesus met, it could have been easy for her to go through a number of reasons why God won't answer her prayer. She wasn't an Israelite, right? She's not a part of the chosen people. Jesus explicitly tells her, hey, I came for the Israelites. Matthew goes out of his way to call her a Canaanite. In, in another translation, she's referred to as a Canaanite. Now, she's not a Canaanite. She's Phoenician. She's Greek from Tyre and Sidon. Technically, she's not a Canaanite. They don't exist anymore. But she is a descendant of the Canaanites, which means this. The Canaanites in the Old Testament were the enemies of Israel. So what is Jesus, or what is Matthew saying? This Canaanite woman, even though she's not Canaanite, he's referencing the fact that she's an enemy of God. So why would God answer me? Not only am I not an Israelite, but I'm actually from the people who are considered an enemy of God. I killed God's chosen people. She was a Gentile woman approaching a man on her own, which again, culturally, is a big no-no. And it wasn't even her own condition she was asking for. This was her daughter's need. She didn't have any kind of relationship with Jesus. It's not like she was, you know, Mary, Martha, or Lazarus, that they were close friends or buddies. And here's another one. When she asked the first time, she didn't even get an answer. He was silent. These are all valid reasons to assume that God won't come through. And listen, we come up with those same reasons. Did you pray about it? Yeah, I prayed about it, but God has an answer. Okay, so what are you going to do? Just not pray anymore? <laughs> That's why we talk about in our prayer, we call it push, pray until something happens. And I like that if something happens, not what I want to happen happens. I'm going to pray until I get a response. I'm going to keep moving. Like I, and here's the idea behind it. Like I, I, can't, I can't be the one to say no for God, right? Why does she persist? Well, maybe she heard about this Jesus already. Maybe she heard that he already healed people that were unbelievers, people that were Gentile. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has an encounter with the Roman centurion who asked him to heal his servant. Very similar situation to this woman. And there are many reasons why Jesus could have ignored the Roman centurion. Again, Israel was under Roman rule. This centurion represented oppression of God's people. He was a Gentile. The request was for someone else. He had no relationship with Jesus. Very similar to the Gentile woman. But listen to what happens in Matthew 8, verse 10 through 12. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus was reminding his Israelite listeners that their racial identity was not an automatic, or if I can take it a step further, that the racial identity of the Gentile was not a barrier to the kingdom of God and that their racial identity as the people of Israel was not an automatic in the kingdom of God. Well, I'm a Christian, so what does that mean? That doesn't mean God's gonna answer your prayer that you don't ask. 
Listen, that's 100%. Well, God knows my heart. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in that thing. And I know sometimes what my kid wants, but I still need them to ask. I still need them to understand. There are sometimes, again, my older one does this. She'll go, mm. I'm like, what? Mm. I'm like, girl, you better use your words. Can I have that? Can I have that what? Can I have that please? Yes, you may. I feel like God does that to us sometimes. Or God's like, what do you want? And you're just sitting there crying. What do you want? You know my heart. Say it. I want you to help me. Jesus didn't answer the woman. And what does she do? She doesn't scream at him and yell at him and, you know, walk away angry. She worships him and she pleads, Lord, help me. And then he responds. Sometimes God's got to put us in a position where our prayers are lifted up vocally, not just in our heart. Well, why? If God knows it. I think sometimes you have to say it. I think you have to say it out loud for you to recognize your need, to recognize the desperation, for you to be honest with the Lord. Listen, it's not enough that you're just a child of God. Because even my own children have to use their words. Listen, I read a quote yesterday that said, if demons were visible, we'd all pray a lot more. The reality is that we're in fights, we're in battles. And we're not even making the prayer meeting a priority. We're not making other aspects a priority, just even your own prayer life a priority. But the truth is, God is going to put you in situations where prayer will become a priority. And this woman was in one of those situations. This is her kid. She's been struggling. She's been hurting herself. She's been hurting others. Like, I need her to be better. And what mother wouldn't do what she needs to do to make sure her child is okay? Which leads me to the third thing. And this is what I love about this woman because I I mentioned the first two why not me's. I don't think that was this woman at all. I think this woman was the third why not me. The third why not me is why not me? Right? I mean, why not me? Like, why wouldn't God? There's no reason why God wouldn't do it for me. There's this uh, almost humorous, there's this boldness behind this mindset. And listen, when you come to the throne of grace and you request something, you got to come with boldness. You got to come with expectation. You got to come with the understanding that Jesus Christ has already given me a pathway to make this request. I'm doing it with humility, but I am also doing it with boldness because it's not in my name, but it's in the name of Jesus. And so I'm going to bring this request before the Lord. Why? Because I trust in the one who said I can come. And so, listen, a lot of us, we, we pray with this sheepishness. We pray with this, like, God, I know I haven't been a great Christian, and, and I know I haven't just, you know, maybe if you can kind of, kind of, sort of. No, you got to come with some expectation. I was thinking about this. One of the greatest tragedies in all of Chicago sports was Derrick Rose's knees. For those of you who don't follow basketball or sports, Derrick Rose is a Chicago native. Uh, he was drafted by the Chicago Bulls, number one overall. Uh, he was a huge deal. I mean, really came out the gate fire. And he was the hope of the, the Bulls coming back and being everything they were called to be. And, you know, he's a rookie. He came one year out of college. So he was a young kid. And uh, the first couple of years, he was catching his bearings. And then right before the 2010-2011 NBA season, Derrick Rose was entering his third year in the league. And at a press conference before the season began, 
<laughs> he was asked about where his confidence was. Hey, you've been in the league two years. How do you feel? You're starting to get acclimated. Where's your confidence at? Listen to his response. It's high, Rose said, of self-confidence. The way I look at it within myself, why not? Why can't I be the MVP of the league, the most valuable player, he asked. Why can't I be the best player in the league? I don't see why not. Why can't I do it? I think I work hard. I think I dedicate myself to the game and sacrifice a lot of things at a young age. And I know if I continue to do good, what I can get out of it. People laughed when he said that. As a matter of fact, when I got this quote, I got it from an article that was written right after he made this statement. And the uh, author of the article, the news reporter at the top said, do I think Derrick Rose will win the MVP this year? No. Dot, 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 dot. Why? Because no one had ever won the MVP that young until that year when Derrick Rose became the youngest player to ever win most valuable player in the league, which is yet another reason why LaBum is not the GOAT. Um, now, listen, people laughed at him. People thought it was silly. People looked at him and go, that's cute, kid. But listen, I don't need the world to believe in me. I just need me and God. He knew. He knew where he was. He knew the work that he put in. He recognized what nobody else ever got to see because he was the only one in the gym doing it. He recognized the work and the ethic and everything that he put into it. And so he had a better vantage point of understanding what's possible because nobody else is in there with him on that. Listen, can I ask you something? Why do you keep getting in your own way? Why do you decide for God what his response will be to your prayers? Listen, I'll be honest. Sometimes we're praying and as we're praying, we're thinking to ourselves, this won't happen. God won't do it. The Bible calls that being double-minded, unstable in everything you do. We pray, not with faith, but with doubt. Listen, James chapter four, verse two, says you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want, why? Because you don't ask God for it. The only prayers that God will not answer are the ones that you will not ask. We gotta start to ask. What's the worst he can do? He says no. Okay, well let God say no. Don't you be the one to say no. Let God say wait. Don't you be the one to wait. Let God say move. Like don't move ahead of God. Like if we can just learn to allow the Lord to do it. What I love about this woman's faith is there was something incredibly powerful behind it. She was madly persistent. She did not take no for an answer. <clears throat> Listen, she didn't back down from continuing to plead her case. Not when Jesus didn't respond. Most of us, when we pray and we don't hear God answer, we just assume, well, that's a no. That's not a no, that's silence. Silence isn't no. It's also not yes, by the way. Because a lot of us are like, hey, did you pray about it? Yeah, I prayed about it. What did God say? Well, he didn't say anything, so I figured I should do it. I don't know where that logic comes from. But a lot of us do that. Well, God didn't say no. God not saying no is not God saying yes. <laughs> and so a lot of well, are you, you think you guys should be dating? I mean, God didn't say no. <laughs> that's, that's not a good reason. No, we gotta wait on the yes. And if it's silence, what does that mean? I wait and I keep praying. I keep asking. Why? Because I didn't get an answer. 
She didn't, she didn't stop asking just because he was silent. She didn't stop asking when the disciples thought she was annoying and told her to go away. She didn't stop asking when Jesus called her a dog because she knew this isn't an insult. I love that she had a rebuttal for it too, by the way. I mean, she clapped back really nice. Should I take the bread from the children and give it to the dog? No, Lord, but even the dogs get crumbs. You know the disciples were like, oh, that was good. That was good. You know they're in the background like, ah, I wish I was. <laughs> Downing Thomas is like. No, she kept on asking until she got a firm answer. Because listen, in none of those replies did Jesus ever say no. Silence wasn't no. Giving to the Israelites wasn't no. He never just flat out says, no, I'm not going to heal your daughter. So she keeps asking. Now, again, let me just make sure that I get you guys to understand this. When God says no, you don't keep asking. <laughs> if God's like, no, well, I'm just going to keep pleading with the Lord because I want to be persistent. The answer is no, and it'll be no for eternity. I'm just telling you no. <laughs> okay? But she never got a no. She got silence. She got reasons. <laughs> She got tested, she never got no. So she kept asking, she kept pleading, she kept trusting in the Lord. I believe she would have received no if that's what she got. But listen, if you're not gonna give me a no, I'm gonna keep trying. I'm gonna keep shooting my shot. I'm gonna keep trying. Why? Because listen, Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11, says it very plainly. It says, keep on asking, and you receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find, keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, everyone who seeks, finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now again, let me caveat that. Everyone who asks, receives. That's not saying you receive what you ask for, but you receive something. It might be a no, it might be a wait, it might be a soon, whatever. You're going to receive an answer, so don't get me twisted on this. I'm not saying, hey, just badger the Lord until he does exactly what you want him to do. Because more often than not, especially when God waits, God is beginning to mold your heart and understand that prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes my heart. It molds me into the will of God so that my prayer lines up with his will. So when we ask we receive, we receive an answer. When we seek, we find. We may not find what we want, but we find something. And if we knock, the door will be open. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Worship team, if you can help me out. Why not you? Why wouldn't God respond to you? We got all these reasons why he wouldn't. Let me give you a few reasons why he would. You're his child. If you, a sinful person, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your father not know how to give good gifts to you? And he's a good father. I know sometimes this idea of father is hard because we didn't have maybe a good father in this place. But he is a good father who loves you, whose ear is always bent to your voice. Listen, I was reading 
that story. And again, I want to encourage you to read and study the word of God because there are so often nuggets and, and little hints at things that we brush over. If you read the beginning of this passage that we read in Matthew, it says that then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He left the region and went north to Tyre and Sidon. That's important to recognize. Why? Tyre and Sidon are Gentile nations, not the people of Israel. Galilee was where the people of Israel were. And as you read the chapter, there's no other reason we see for why he went to Tyre and Sidon. As a matter of fact, this wasn't any place on his way to any other place. This was way out of his way. Tyre and Sidon were about 50 miles away from where he was. 50 miles might be a lot driving, but it's a whole lot more walking. That is essentially walking from here to Kenosha. Okay? 50 miles. That's about a two days walk. And why did he do it? The only reason we see scripturally was to meet this woman. He went 50 miles out of his way to meet a Canaanite woman. Some of, some of you guys thought that you woke up and, and, and you know got through the tiredness and the rain and came to church to meet Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus came here to meet you. He came here to have an encounter with you, to talk to you, to challenge you, to say, listen, there are some of you in this room, you got some dead prayers. What I mean by that is you have prayers that you have stopped praying because you stopped believing. You have needs that you haven't even brought before the Lord because you've already answered him before you even asked. You got desires that you think God won't give to you because you don't deserve it or because it's whatever other reason. No. Mark chapter 9, verse 22 through 24. It's a story about another demon-possessed boy. And he pleads with Jesus, the Father does, to heal him. And he says in verse 22, the Spirit often throws him into fire, into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Church, would you stand with me, please? Just bow your head for a moment, close your eyes. Is there a need in your life where unbelief has replaced faith? Or maybe you're like the woman and this father. It's not even your need, it's your child's need or your spouse's need or your friend's need. And you've given up. You thought they're never gonna get saved, they're never gonna turn around their life, the healing's never gonna come. Have you lost faith and stopped praying? Have you quit? You're just kind of going through the motions. Instead of saying, why not me? You're coming up with all the reasons why God will do it for somebody else, why God won't do it for you. Today, we're going to resurrect some dead prayers. Today, we're going to ask God to move in a way that only he can move. Pastor Jason, would you help me just prepare our hearts for this moment?